welcome to Atheist Talk on KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Good morning to all of you joining us locally by radio and streaming online. We appreciate you tuning in. Today is Sunday, July 15th, and I'm your host, Hertzy Hertz, and I'm here in studio with Joseph Homrick and Dr. Steve Ecker. Ah, excuse me. <laughs> It's morning. This is an open conversation. We welcome and encourage listener interaction with your phone calls to 952-946-6205, your emails to radio at mnatheist.org, or tweet us at at Atheist Talk. The phone number is only live when we're, well, only available when we're live, but you can always email or tweet us whether we're live or you're listening to the podcast. Dr. Steve Ecker is a genetic scientist, I believe. Did I say that right? Of course. Yes. Excellent. A little bit closer to the mic. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. All right, and you are here to talk about a conference and also just, you know, genetic science in general. So you're going to tell me when I get my unicorns. Exactly. Excellent. Well, Joseph, Dr. Steve, welcome to Atheist Talk. Thank you, Hertzie. So, Joseph, I already saw you scribbling in your notes, like, while we were standing in the parking lot waiting. (laughs) I'm guessing you have a fantastic question. Well, I certainly have some questions, Ertzi, so uh, uh, thank you very much. Dr. Ecker, for our listeners, could you give everyone the 30 to 60 second explanation of technologies like CRISPR and any other technologies that are prominent right now in the area of uh, genetic changing? So that's a great term, genetic changing. So we think of uh, genetic changing, gene editing, genome engineering, um, uh, by analogy to what you do with a computer and changing uh, word processor text, uh, we now have tools uh, that, that that can change the DNA just like you can change your Microsoft Word document. And we use that because the DNA is the code of life. So I have a question. Why should I care? Why should you care? Well, all biological systems are driven and controlled by DNA. So it's the first time... Um, we have the ability to really meaningfully and direct the changes um, at, at the scale that we uh, developed, a, especially the last uh, five years. Okay, that's a pretty good reason. <laughs> uh, please continue. You were saying uh, the analogy to Microsoft Word. So yeah, so if you just like you want to make a, a, a you want to change an A. Um, in, in, because you've got a misspelling, it's T-H-A, you want to make it to a T-H-E and correct that word or correct the content, we can make those same changes because all DNA is encoded by four letters. It's A, C, G, or T uh, at each base. You can also make changes that would be, that would be a single change, a so-called single nucleotide change. We can also change uh, large segments that just like you do cut and paste um, in your Word document. You can do rep- um, replace, you can do delete, and you can do insert. All of the, you can think about it as there's the keyboard function where you, sorry, the, the cursor function where you identify where in your text that you're making the change. That's the cursor that your mouse runs. Um, and then you've got the keyboard function where you push the key. So it's delete, play, replace. We can do almost everything by, by analogy. Now, of course, that's analogy. It's not actually, you know, the, the, the mechanism by which those different, those changes happen are totally different. But the analogy, which is the fact that it's genetic code, is just like changing the text um, in a word processor. 
Dang it, I was having this exciting idea that you guys were sitting around with keyboards doing like control C and control V. Yeah, we we do that, but that's that's in silico and then we actually have to make it happen um, in carbon, right? In the actual organisms that we we work with. Which I'm guessing is a lot harder than the keyboard shortcuts. A lot harder and much, much slower. And is the primary mechanism the use of the technology called CRISPR? CRISPR is the um, latest um, incarnation. So gene editing, actually, as we are calling it, um, is over 30, roughly 30 years old. Um, you, can, you can go back to the origins of molecular biology. Some of the first Nobel Prizes in molecular biology were for these um, proteins that will recognize a spot in the DNA, and then we'll cut it with high precision, and they're called restriction enzymes. Um, some of the first, like the Nobel Prize for that was for EcoR1, which is this uh, restriction enzyme um, out, of e out of E. coli. Um, that's, uh, or I'm trying to get it as people are aware of the CRISPR system and think of it as an overnight success, but it's really been 30, 40 years um, in development to be overnight. So what organism does one change? Are you changing a fertilized egg, a complete organism, like, say, a, a whole protozoa? Does one change the reproductive cells? What uh, Could you give us an overview of what can be changed? Right. So um, I encourage those to go to John Oliver's gene editing segment, which is really uh, uh, goes into this. There's two ways, there's two cell types. There's the cells that are somatic cells. So there are skin cells, um, our, our organ systems. Those are cells that belong to that individual organism. And we change those now for making new therapies, for example. We use uh, the anti-cancer therapy called CAR T-cells, chimeric antigen receptor T-cells, and other gene therapy. As the three of them were approved last year by the FDA in a landmark year. Those cells, sometimes you call those living therapies. So this, the, the therapy is the cells. You can think about it as modified bone marrow transplantation. Bone marrow transplantation is somatic cell transfers. Organ transfers are somatic changes. So that's a germline changes are where you actually change something and then all of the offspring are changed. So right now, some of the top gene editing products that, that are going to touch the world are going to be plant products that have gone through the germline or they are somatically changed and then clonally selected, right? So those are two ways in plants to, to take a change and then propagate it. And germline gets a lot of, and appropriately so, ethical concerns, considerations, because you're going to change not just that individual, but you're also going to change future individuals of a species. Um, but the, you know, we have, if you can parse those into those two categories, those are important classical categories to be thinking about. Much of the work in, in, in health is on the area of somatic changes. Uh, I can definitely second that John Oliver show. Um, as a person who's not a scientist, it was great for layman terms. Um, please note, if you do watch it, he's a little crass. Yes, and it is. It, 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 a little it, it bit irreverent. It, it does have. Um, I loved it. <laughs> pro, uh, uh, um, content that's um, not suitable for um, uh, children. Children, <laughs> kind of like my other show. But that's all of almost all of John Oliver's segments. But okay. yeah, we have it on our on our website at the Genome Writers Guild with with that warning, uh, just from a link.
So imagine that uh, that technology progresses apace in uh, the way that we would wish it, and it's about one or maybe two centuries from now. How is life different? Yeah, so this is a great question. I, I like the phrase I'm using is how will gene editing and the, the science of gene editing going to touch the world? And um, the, the, the most important concept I can get across to people is that everything in the world that can be touched by life today or could be or life could be designed to touch has the potential to be modified by gene editing which is a i mean the, the i i can't think of a technology that actually has as limitless a scope because even electronics and artificial intelligence right a lot of the world that's restricted to the electronic cloud for for electronic systems to do something they actually have to touch the world with robots or physical pieces Indeed. Um, a lot of people um, are affected by, or their lives are touched by uh, genetic uh, diseases or genetically influenced uh, problems. Just off the top of my head, I can think of very serious conditions like Tay-Sachs disease, sickle cell anemia, cystic fibrosis. Uh, some like that are just uh, influenced by a recessive gene. Uh, but we also know that there's a genetic influences for the development of cancer, heart disease, high blood pressure, both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Um, thoughts about the treatment of disease and uh, the reduction or even elimination of some of these things? Right. Again, I'd, I'd like to break that into somatic versus germline. So um, I'm going to use, take it one step away. So 24% of dog cancers are a form of B-cell lymphoma, so a form of leukemia. And there are dog breeds that have a more higher predisposition, but um, uh, any dog can get B-cell lymphoma, regardless of their um, genetic inheritance. The opportunity to make one of the to make CAR T cells um, at, a, at, a, at a much more accessible and scalable um, opportunity. Right now, the, the the cost of that treatment of the drug of the modified cell in people is three hundred thousand dollars a person. So that's that's what was approved last year. The ability to get that down to three thousand, one thousand dollars is well within um, our lifetime. So at that point in time. You've, you've completely reset the conversation. B-cell lymphoma then becomes the potential to be a, a treatable disease. And what's amazing about CAR T-cells is it, it cures the patients in some cases, right? So many, many patients are, it's a cured scenario. And that's because you reprogram these little robots, immune, immune robots called T-cells, to constantly go looking for the cancer, all right. Well, please stay with us through the break. We'll return to Atheist Talk with jo Joseph Hemrick and the Dr. Steve Ecker, which I believe you're also here to talk about the Genome Writers Guild, yes, correct? Yes, of course. So we'll talk about a little bit about that next. Um, I'm Hertzie Hertz, and you're listening to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Thank you. 
Welcome back to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're tuned in to Atheist Talk, and I'm your host, Hertzie Hertz, in studio today with Joseph and Dr. Steve Ecker. Before we get back, however, I want to remind everyone listening that immediately following this program, you can listen to American Atheist Viewpoint, an official production of the American Atheist. Please note, you can always catch American Atheist Viewpoint by subscribing to the podcast version in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or the podcast player of your choice. As for your, the here and now, if you'd like to get involved in the conversation with Joseph and Dr. Steve Ecker, this morning you can call us at 952-946-6205, email us at radio at mnatheists.org, or tweet us at, at Atheist Talk. Or you can also check out our Facebook page, Atheist Talk. That's a lot of times I have to say that. I think I make that joke every week, too. All right. Well, Dr. Steve, you are also here to... to promote a, a guild, a Genome Writers Guild. Now, is this the guild that's going to write me my unicorn? <laughs> well, you know, I think that it's, as I mentioned earlier, it may not write you a unicorn, but you might have more fun to do a dragon. I think there are possibilities. Can, can we do both? <laughs> well, keep in mind, it depends upon how patient you want to be. Our technology is very slow right now. It's I am not patient. <laughs> not patient. Well, I think then... Maybe you should uh, live with CGI for your for your, uh, your your technology right now, while the rest of us keep working at it to make it easier. All right. Well, what is the Genomes Writers Guild? Yeah. So we realized a few years ago that this technology had enormous potential implications way outside of the research uh, ivory tower laboratory. As I've used this phrase, how are we going to be touching the world? And we realized that. Um, we are already touching the world, and that a number of the groups um, we're 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 building the next tools to touch the world. So in the in in Minnesota, uh, one of the first gene editing companies went public. It's Calix, and it's the plant gene editing company um, established by Dr. Dan Voitas at the University of Minnesota. And that's here. That's here. I love Minnesota. Um, Recombinetics <laughs> is a company that. Um, uses gene editing to modify pigs and cows. Uh, for example, they have pushed um, to, to do the hornless dairy cow. So it's a huma- it's a approach to, right now, for dairy cows, you cut the horns off, which is um, just not a very um, uh, good experience for anybody involved. But naturally occurring um, uh, hornless cows exist. They just haven't historically been in the breeds that we make milk. And so you can use gene editing to accelerate the breeding and cross that trait in. It's called the pulled trait. They also modify um, pigs for making models of human disease to try to accelerate novel therapies. Recombinetics is here in Minnesota. So does that mean I'll get a talking pig? Ah, the talking pig. Well, you're going to have to talk to David Brin, um, the, the, the science fiction writer who um, was our lead keynote speaker last year because he thought of the idea, uh, what if you could edit DNA like you can a word processor, what would it do? And he had developed an entire uh, thought process around how how gene editing would then touch the world, and he has a his uh, most famous is his Hugo and Nebula award winning novel called Star Tide Rising. I actually, brought my autographed copy here to to remind me to talk about it. Not because um, the 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 that his his he, he was highly innovative, but it was really trying to get at that many of the gene editing and genome engineering questions are old. 
uh, Robert Heinlein's book called Friday uh, was around just when DNA was recognized as the genetic code and chromosomes were the where where the DNA was stored, and he imagined a whole world that's basically what you now call pre-implantation diagnosis. So those concepts exist. The Genome Writers Guild is trying to is recognizing that those concepts, which are just in science fiction, are now becoming a reality. So that means that we need a community that's the that's the that's every but all stakeholders. So the Genome Writers Guild are the scientists, but they're also artists like Lynn Feldman, who really thinks about science and art and touching humanity. We actually have uh, the 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 individuals like that are that are innovating in um, the industrials like Calix. Those individuals are there, but we also have critical stakeholders, ethicists and uh, legislators and members of the public and students. Yeah, I was going to say, because uh, it says here in our notes that there's a science cafe. Do we get genetic, genetically modified coffee? Ah, that's right. Well, Science Cafe um, is, a, is a brand of science education space. And... Um, it, it, that e- that evening, we have what we are calling outward-facing educational opportunities. So we have a series of TED-style talks. So three TED-style talks from high-end um, communicators. One is going to be the, the as I mentioned, Lynn Fellman, who's our our wonderful science artist. We will have um, it, it will be highlighted by Ellen Jurgensen. Uh, Dr. Jurgensen um, was a was a critical um, individual in in launching GenSpace in New York City, which is the first opportunity for the public to basically use molecular biology and genome engineering to modify E. coli cells and some basic pieces um, without being in the high end research lab. And then has recently launched Biotech Without Borders. Biotech, so. Biotech Without Borders, what's that? In, well, in you're going to have to come and find out. Oh, Dr. That Jorgensen's, is that's her new teaser. that's her new gig. She's coming and she will tell you in person. Uh, but the, the, the concepts, I think, conceptually is that these biotech, um, you know, uh, tools are now directly impacting the world. They're no longer just in the research lab. And so that's both scary to people and it's also an enormous opportunity to make our world a better place. All right, so for those who are interested, the Science Cafe is Thursday, July 19th from 7 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. at the U of M Center. And Joseph, I'm guessing you have a burning question that will take about two minutes. <laughs> I'm trying to select uh, the most uh, time-appropriate question, so maybe I'll go with this one and save the, uh, the longer and I feel more interesting question. <laughs> for our last segment. Uh, doctor, when you're making presentations to the general public, what is the biggest misconception that people seem to have? Unicorns. <laughs> uh, well, I, may, maybe perhaps that we know a lot more about how DNA works than we think, you know, than, than, than we do. Uh, it's very difficult. I mean, I, I, I want to, part of my day job is, is part of what's called personalized medicine. And just because I can have the sequence, so sequencing your DNA is really inexpensive. It's, it's literally a billion times less, you know, cost than it was a few years ago. And, and so I can know what all of the A, C, Gs, and Ts are, but I don't know how to read that book. And, the, and so if you don't know how to read it, how do you know that what you're writing will have the consequences? That's probably the biggest, that we're still trying to understand both how to read the genetic code as well as interpreting it and the process. Uh, do the folks ever have some scary misconceptions? Um, well, 
maybe Jurassic Park as opposed to unicorns. Uh, the, I don't you know. know. <laughs> I, I can go both. I can go all. I'm. I am not going to to limit the genetics when it comes to my geekiness. Um, I do have an email though from actually Miss Lynn Feldman, uh, Midwest. She says, "Good job, Steve Hertzie and Joseph. Midwest scientists are leaders in genome engineering field. A lot." happening at our very own U of M. And after the break, can you tell us what is happening in Minneapolis and other Midwest universities? That was going to touch on my next segment question. Lynn, yeah. you must be psychic, but we don't believe in those either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we'll return with our guests, Joseph and Dr. Steve, right after the break. Please stay with us. I'm Hertzie Hertz, and you're listening to Atheist Talk on KTNF AM 950. Thank you for tuning in to Atheist Talk on AM 950 KTNF. I'm your host, Hertzie Hertz, and we're here having what I would classify as a fascinating conversation with jo- Joseph Homrich and Dr. Steve Ecker. Before we continue with this conversation, which will be our final segment with Joseph and Dr. Steve, there's a bit of housekeeping I need to attend to. Atheist Talk is made in production with funding from Minnesota Atheist and Cucumbers Restaurants in Edina. Please consider visiting our sponsors, and if you do, let them know that you appreciate their support of Atheist Talk. If you'd like to advertise on this program and help keep us on the air, please contact us at radio at mnatheist.org. I also want to thank our dedicated group of volunteers and the generous donations of you, our listeners. You'll help keep Atheist Talk on the air and in podcast form. I also want to note our donors of the week, which actually we don't have a donor of the week, which makes me very sad, but thank you to all of our donors. And if you're able to help with a donation, please consider doing so at our radio fund page or at our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Atheist Talk. Minnesota Atheist is a 501c3 tax-deductible organization. We couldn't do this show without you, and we deeply appreciate your support. Music for Atheist Talk is by composer and member Brent Michael Davis and is used with permission. Please note, all opinions are of the guests and hosts only do not necessarily reflect those of Minnesota Atheists as an organization. As always, check out the Minnesota Atheist website for podcasts of previous programs. You can run articles, book reviews, and peruse the calendar of upcoming events. You can also sign up for the Atheist Weekly email, which will give you links to upcoming events. We always have a ton of activities going around the Twin Cities and outlying suburbs. If you enjoyed the show and all Minnesota Atheist has to offer, please consider becoming a member of Minnesota Atheist while you're on the website. Memberships have some great perks. Checks out the high and why on the website. With all that relevant and useful information out of the way, let's go back to our conversation with Joseph and Dr. Steve. Thank you, Hertzie. Uh, doctor, um, I'd like to understand what is currently uh, helping and hindering the development of um, this technology, and let's make that a, as broad a question as possible. Um, are there any changes you'd like to see in, for example, laws or regulations or the creation of new companies? We've already brought up the fact that there are some Minnesota companies that are already at the forefront of this technology. What are your thoughts? So, I think the um, it's a the point of the Genome Writers Guild is to balance the potential with the, the the understandable concerns. So we we use the word responsible in our charter. The goal is to have and use a responsible uh, uh, technology for touching the world. So. This technology has the ability to impact the food we grow, not just making it cheaper, but making it better. The ability for it to have a healthier um, a, a, um, 
a blend of lipids and oils or having the ability to stand to have a longer shelf life or have the ability like golden rice that's gotten built although that's an older gene editing technology that allows uh, a, a healthier diet you have the you have the ability that's improving current products there's the ability to make novel foods that you can't do uh, yet we have the ability to, to likely rescue foods. The banana is, is largely a single genetic uh, clone that's 99% of the bananas on the planet, but it's already subject to a fungus that's going to take the Kavanaugh banana down. You can be able to make a version of it that's now resistant to that. Uh, for somebody who's near and dear to my heart, I love I love chocolate, and uh, chocolate also has the same kind of a scenario where it's only a few strains of chocolate that are the high production strains, but they're now becoming subject to uh, a, a, a parasites or or bacteria or viruses that are coming down the pipeline. For okay, those, they that, need to get on that chocolate thing so right you're away. Missing, you're missing one. The real <laughs> one is is cocoa. So right, it's the same scenario. But all of those ta- all of those those plants, those critical plant varieties, have the ability to generate uh, genetic diversity to reverse the unification of genetics. But then adding genetic diversity by rapidly, uh, a lot of the same genetic diversity you'd add back to these species is naturally occurring genetic diversity, um, but using gene editing to do what's called accelerated breeding. So you, you've got the food supply, you have the ability for making novel therapies, the ability to edit and modify cells to make what are called living therapies, so add functions to these cells, whether they are uh, hematopoietic stem cells or so-called bone marrow cells uh, for, for treating diseases um, that, are, that are of the bone marrow or generating novel immunotherapies. I just want to, these are the enormous potentials that are, that are here. Those are, these are actual happening right now in the research laboratories. How you want to put those into the, into the world, how you want to put these technologies in, and, and start touching the world, that is an important conversation with everybody involved. So it's the members of the public. It's the members of our leadership. It's the members of uh, foundations uh, understanding, well, you know, maybe, maybe it's not economically um, cost-effective to treat, uh, to make a therapy that treats 100 people in the world. But actually, if you invert the problem and you can make the production very inexpensive, you might be able to make custom therapies where somebody comes in and they're, and they're, a single therapy is made just for that individual. The ability, how, do you, how are you going to take that? We have a potential that's so high. How are you going to grasp that? And so we're trying to break all of those questions up into smaller bite-sized chunks for dealing with regulation, with dealing with communication, with dealing with the partnership for the, so that the success is pushing us in, a, in where we want to go. So there are questions, regulatory questions. They're very important, but regulatory questions, by definition, now have a political bent. So now it becomes a question of, education if we i mean some i don't know what the percentage is right 90 plus percent of our legislators are lawyers well not very many lawyers are experts in you know how dna works and how you change dna and how you're going to impact it so there's a much of what we're trying to do is is have the dialogue and so the first step is sharing what what the critical questions are so that we can share the benefit 
it's it's uh, the the this the second side is you don't want regulation and the fear of failure to prevent us from doing something that could obviously make the world a better place. In fact, preventing that from happening would also be considered unethical. So when you've got the you've got to balance it, right? You've got to balance that scenario. So we're in this critical stage and the thought for the Genome Writers Guild was to put the the experts together, but that's not but what we mean by an expert, it's not just a scientific expert, it's the regulatory experts, it's the ethical experts, the public experts. Don't forget the accountants on this because in all seriousness when it comes to business, if you can if you can have an accountant say this is why you should do a thing, it can help. <laughs> and my boss says this all the time, and I agree. If you can go into a place saying I know how to read a P and L, that puts you way above a lot of people. Sure, sure. The business models, right? There, there's a there's an opportunity here to fundamentally change um, the the business models of a number of our. Um, industries and processes. I think I'm going to have to go now because, I mean, it would be kind of fun to be a, a, an accountant for like a small little bio <laughs> firm. It would be. And there's and there's many of them happening here in, in the upper Midwest. I mentioned a couple of them with uh, Calix and Recombinetics. There's some coming out um, that are partnerships with uh, Mayo Clinic, with Iowa State, again, with the University of Minnesota, some that are in the private firms, um, that are some that are secondarily impacted. MinFarm is one that's sort of in this uh, novel space. And uh, the, it, people in, in Minnesota, we don't realize this is the, the, the origins of that innovation goes back to a number of, of innovations that predates the CRISPR systems, the Sleeping Beauty Transposon system that Perry Hackett's lab at the University of Minnesota um, built, led to a, a company called Xiofarm that does these anti-cancer therapies. Um, it's led to a company that I'm associated with, I helped founder many years ago, but it's now called Immusoft. Um, it's in Seattle. Uh, the first, some of the first gene editing technologies led to the first uh, commercially available uh, gene edited um, animal. If you go to Walmart, you can buy your first, the first gene edited animal on the planet. It's called the glowfish. If you have seen these bright glowing oh, yeah. zebrafish. I was going to say, aren't they like in pet stores all yeah, over the place? Yeah, they are in pet too? stores. And in case you don't want to go to Walmart. And, <laughs> and those have a wonderful Minnesota connection in multiple levels. The, they're all all made by a University of Minnesota alumnus, Dr. Idis Nisevichus, who was a graduate student in my lab many years ago, and he's the chief scientist uh, for making these. Um, and that's fish as art, right? That's using genome. The, those glowfish are beautiful. That's what they bring to the world. They are living beauty. So when you've got genome engineering that's talking everything from trying to save people's lives to the food we eat to the beauty in our landscape, it seems to me that we should be having the conversation about what does it mean to be doing this responsibly and what does it mean to, to, to do it in a way where it's going to have maximal benefit. Well, I think that might be a nice uh, point for me to, to uh, jump in with this next question. Um, I've been a scientist all my life, first as a university researcher, then as an engineer uh, for about a decade, and then I'm now a software developer, and the people I work with, my friends, engineers I work with, you know, we talk about science all the time. And frankly, this is probably the most exciting area of science right now that I can think of. I wonder if you could talk to young people, people in high school, people who might be entering college soon, um, if you wanted to encourage them 
and get them excited about this research. What would they be studying? What's your background? What's your education? What uh, maybe something about those topics? Yeah, this is great. So this is a this is a really exciting time, and and I'm gonna just so my background was. And I have an electrical engineering degree from the University of Illinois trying to build uh, computer chips. I was doing semiconductor physics, and I had the opportunity to meet uh, the late Dr. Carl Wose, who was doing the first molecular evolution work. All of Dr. Wose's work was uh, understanding how you can, you can use DNA to understand the origins of life and evolution. It's, it's all, it's now, if you, if you have a microbiome genetic test, all of his tools are what's done, although he was making it try to identify, you know, uh, the origins of extraterrestrial life and was finding the origins of these bacteria that live in deep sea vents. So it was a wonderful time. He had a very profound conversation to me. He said, do you want to, to figure out how Moore's Law works in the next generation of computer chips, or do you want to know how the code of life works? And so that was 30 years ago. So that that was the promise that brought me into molecular biology, and I've been doing molecular biology my career. But that was 30 years ago. If you enter today, you don't have to do that 30-year wait. The ability to edit and change DNA at on demand was just a dream 30 years ago. So the analogy I'll give if you're thinking about this from an engineering side is is the invention of the transistor. So the invention of the transistor was in the late 40s at, at Bell Labs. What it did was it let the untapped the potential of all of these electronics. But people forget that that the the transistor was so valuable because of scientists like Turing that had in, had, had described a universal computer, what a bit was and what the byte was and how you'd actually program. But they were using vacuum tubes and relays. When the transistor came out, you could do everything rapidly. And the first products. Uh, forgive me for interrupting. I want to plug again the upcoming activities. Could you uh, tell our listeners again as we as we exit? Yeah, yeah. So the upcoming activities. Come to the Genome Writers Guild. If you want to learn about all of this excitement, come to the Genome Writers Guild coming up uh, this Thursday, uh, Friday, and Saturday at McNamara Center at the University of Minnesota. All right. Well, thank you so much. We'll be back for about four minutes before the Minnesota Atheist or the Atheist American Atheist Viewpoint. But thank you for listening. Well, we're back for another just a few minutes. Dr. Steve, could you do me a favor and can you just like give an outline of some of the TED Talks that are going to be at this science cafe with with or without GMO coffee? <laughs> we could say it's cafe. <laughs> um, our lead speaker is going to be uh, Dr. Ellen Jorgensen that we mentioned for with um, uh, really understanding how this technology is leaving the research uh, ivory tower and moving into the the world, and how the you, if you're interested in it, can can actually access it and use it responsibly, safely, and with a critical set of peers. Um, the other end of the spectrum would be Lynn Fellman and understanding that there's an enormous amount of beauty in understanding diversity and DNA, and it, it leads to who we are as people and who we are. I, uh, Lynn, can, uh, Lynn is a wonderful, broad spectrum, so I'm looking forward to seeing it and learning myself. I, I think the, the concepts of the TED Talks are how can you um, understand 
as a as a member of the public and become informed of these technologies. And if you're interested in in, in learning, how would you go about doing so? Which is actually great because while Joseph may have a background in science, um, I am degreeless and my background is accounting. <laughs> So I can account for your biotech, but um, there, there's some of this that goes over my head. So do you have any, any are you going to be doing a TED Talk? I, I'm not going to be doing a TED Talk. What? Um, but I, you're so I, fun I, to listen to. <laughs> I am disappointed. Uh, well, my, my job is making sure that um, we have all the diversity of voices um, being spoken and heard. And that's... Um, uh, I have enough gray hair that uh, it, it's people have heard me before. So I think the real goal is is exploring, and I'm really looking forward to. So I keep in mind that for the Science Cafe, uh, you don't have to be registered. We have a special registration opportunity. Um, if you're under 18 and under, it's free, um, and then for the public, it's only $15. So we are really that's really just to help us cover the food costs. Our goal is to really be open to a two-way dialogue. I, you said food costs is there food? There is food. Oh, there see, you should have started with that. There we go. I should have. So, and it's good food. It's from oh, D'Amico's. Oh, that is really good food. All right. So, strange question: If you had a dream sci-fi author guest, who would you have come? Oh well, I, you know, I already did. It was David Brin, Doctor David Brin. He Not was he was such an awesome. He's a, one of the futurists. Um, he, and he's done it twice, by the way. He's done gene editing, and he also was one of the few scientists that predicted the Internet. I don't think you realize Asimov, Heinlein, and a lot of those scientists did not predict the advent of the Internet and, and touching our lives in it. And he did. David Brin did. So um, he's a futurist that, that um, has gotten a couple of things right that a lot of the science fiction writers have not. So not Robert Heinlein? Heinlein? Oh, he's, you know, passed away, right? So oh, yeah, David I said Brin's dream alive. guest. I guess ah, dream, dream guest. guest. Dream guest? Uh, well, I think, I think um, you'd have to take Asimov, right? I mean, oh, yeah. But, but he missed it. He missed some big things. He missed, he missed Wikipedia. He missed, uh, it was just to be very expensive in the Asimov books to access the, the knowledge base of the, you know, Encyclopedia Galactica. I mean, I was, as good as, as Asimov was, uh, maybe Arthur C. Clarke in predicting communications satellites before you could even have a rocket working. All right. Well, I'm going to just plug this once again. We have the Science Cafe on July 19th from 7 to 9.30 p.m. at the U of M's McNerma Center. McNerma. I'll never get that one. That's <laughs> McNerma Center. It's a wonderful venue. It's a really awesome venue. I have been there before for some other stuff. It is a, a beautiful venue. And speakers will have some TED-style talks, a nice 10 minutes or so, including key speaker, renowned Dr. Ellen Jorgensen. And it's free for students and people under 18 and 15 for adults. So I know I am actually very sorely tempted to, to leave my Thursday gaming and <laughs> go there. And I hope to see everyone else. Thank you, and please stay tuned for Atheist Talk with Maddie Love. Mm -hmm.